0: All right, hey everybody, this is Ken Himmler. Welcome back to the Wiser Money Show. And today we have a great partner, a great guest. I got Zach here. Zach, introduce yourself.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Ken, for inviting me as your co-host now and everyone moving forward. So get used to me, everyone. I am definitely more on the fun side of everything, <laughs> where Ken is definitely more the technical side. But I'm here to just kind of bring a little bit of of some liveliness to this industry and this understanding of everything going on here because there's a lot and it's sad and it's scary and it's sometimes to some people it could be boring but to the people watching this it's very important so hopefully we could bring some fun into that as well it's going to be pretty interactive but ultimately ken
0: back to you kind of tell, tell us what we're going to be doing today Well, Zach, you know, I I want everybody to understand some of the things that are going on within um, Medicare, Medicaid, and some of the confusion that's going on. Now, I know you have some family members that are going through some issues and some health challenges. And, you know, we face this every day, Zach. And one of the things I want to start with is really what's going on with, uh, and I'm going to bring up some current news. And as I go through this, you could probably Google if you're watching us or listening to us on your podcast, you can probably Google some of the things I'm talking about and I'll I'll give some references and some uh, article IDs so that you can actually look them up. But the first thing I wanna cover is an article and it's, it's, here's the title of the article. After Medicaid patient dies, states like Iowa aggressively seek repayments from estates. So Zach, here's what the issue is, um, years ago, You know, in the early 20s, when Medicaid and Medicare, well, Medicare was actually created in the 60s, Medicaid got added on. And at that time, people were dying a lot earlier. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you die early, you don't have a long term medical expense. And the computer chip changed that. Because when the computer chip was invented in the 70s and it really was exploited thereafter, medical technology just mushroomed, right? And now they can keep you alive longer, whether it's through nutrition, whether it's through you, you know, with tubes sitting in some long-term care facility, people are living longer. Therefore, healthcare expenses have just exploded. And so one of the things I want to talk about is really when you have these long-term medical expenses, who's gonna pay for it? And this confusion over, you know, somebody goes into a nursing home, are they gonna steal my assets? Are they gonna take my assets? Where do those assets come from? And so there's this um, real misunderstanding about long-term care facilities don't steal your income. The government doesn't confiscate um, assets. That's not how it works. Now, you'll see some fear mongers out there saying, well, if you don't buy this long term care policy, you know, the long term care or the government can steal your assets. That's not how it works. So let me explain what the process is. And, you know, if you've got questions along the way, just ask them, Zach. And, and you know, if you've got questions, if you're listening to this on a podcast, videocast, you know, please feel free to comment in. Your comments will actually invigorate some of the other people that are watching or listening to actually ask other questions. And it's a community based improvement system where we can all help each other i'll lead you with the base information but there's other scenarios that you can add into by commenting about it's sharing what your experiences are now listen i've been doing this 40 years i've got a a subset of experiences but it's nothing like i'm sure that you know everybody watching this you'll have your own experiences share those in the comments and lived experiences right the lived experiences are very important to help everybody here well, I mean, Zach, I'm not gonna ask individually, but you have you had individual experiences in people going into nursing homes or people having that kind of issue? And what was your experience during that?
1: Yeah, I mean, currently my grandmother, she she just turned 96. Her birthday was last week, and we had a big celebration for her. But the the biggest question for my aunts and uncles and my mom is like, how, is she, how are they going to be able to afford all of this moving forward? She doesn't have a trust, so it's all her money, and they're able to take that, and that's what has to pay for it. But if she outlives her money, like what happens then? And then who's liable for it then? And I know everybody says, oh, well, Medicaid, Medicare, things like that, but ultimately, it's going to have to be my mom and her brothers kind of coming out of pocket to pay for it. And She's 96. Like she's lived a life and now yeah. you 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 would think especially you know 20 30 years ago no one's ever going to live to 96. She's healthy. She's kicking. She's pretty much with it, you know? She she, she met my my son for the first time, her great grandson and and she knew who he was and it was just bizarre that it doesn't look like anything's happening happening anytime soon. But like that leads that question with what we're talking about is how is this going to happen for another five years, 10 years from now? So that's the closest thing I have to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, the answer is actually pretty simple. So you can self pay or you can government pay. So if you self pay, it's, you know, it's a pretty simple number. You figure out what it is. Now I'll tell you one story. Um, I had a client in Buffalo, New York, and his dad went into a nursing home in New York city. Now, I might hatch at the numbers. This is probably 20 years ago, but you'll you'll get the concept down. I think it was something like 10 grand a month, and it's like 20 years ago. Yeah, to house his dad in a long-term care facility in Manhattan. That's where his dad was from. Why Manhattan though? <laughs> it's like yeah, right. No, anywhere else. Yeah. Well, you know my my client, his first name was Todd. He lived in Buffalo, and when I met with him and I was looking at the rundown of the assets of the dad, his question to me was, well what happens when my dad runs out of money? I said, well, two things are going to happen. He's never going to be able to stay in that same facility. He's going to have to go on a Medicaid based facility. Mm -hmm. And those are not exactly the kind of facility he's in right now. I said, or you could pick up the payment on that, which wasn't really a option because it would run him out of money. Right. So I did a little thinking on this. I did a little calling back then, 20 years ago. You didn't have Google like you do today. So I (laughs) was calling around and I found a very, very nice. So, So here's what the issue was. So he's living in Buffalo. He was driving all the way down to Manhattan, which is like an eight hour drive. And so I tried to go Midwest and try to find a place that was about eight hours. We found a place in Northern Kentucky. And it was like, again, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I want to say it was something like $38,000 a year compared to 120,000 dollars a year. Right. So I said to him, said, Todd, look, you're going to drive eight hours this way or eight hours this way to go see your dad. And unfortunately his dad didn't really have the cognizance to know where he was. So whether he's in a place in Manhattan or whether he's in a place in Kentucky for Todd, it's the same drive for his dad. It's actually a nicer place. It was a newer place. So he did. He moved him from, from New York City to Kentucky. His dad ended up passing away there, and there was a nice inheritance left over. But who knew? I mean, he could have lived a long time right. money out, right? So that's one way of doing it. Now, the other way of doing it is Medicaid, and Medicaid is the government-run program. So what a lot of people don't know is Medicaid is a government-run program, but it's also administered at a state level. So every state has different rules, different amounts. So again, you can hedge that based upon where you're at. Now,
1: is that just order, your location or like your residence? Yeah, like what's state, that based
0: on? Uh, by state, state by state. Okay, then, so,
1: so for instance, like if currently my grandmother, let's use her, she's in Pennsylvania and her primary residence, I guess, is Pennsylvania. How long does she have to be in a different state in order to get those Medicaid laws?
0: Every state has a different qualification. And then I've also learned that certain states have different counties that they give a different amount for. Not all wow. states do that. So it's it, it depends on where they go. Right. Um, so what happens is if she runs her money completely out, then you apply for Medicaid to cover the long-term care expenses. So Medicaid now says, okay, what do you own? Now, most states have a primary residence protection for a spouse. So if you have a single person and they move out of their primary residence, most states don't protect that residence because there's nobody living in it. Right. But if you're married and there's a surviving spouse or a healthy spouse, I should say surviving because they're not dying, but it's a (laughs) healthy spouse. They live in the primary residence. The other person moves to the nursing home. The healthy person is protected. However, there's a, little, there's a catch though. In order to qualify for Medicaid, you traditionally have to have less than $2,000 in assets and they exclude certain things, an automobile, wedding rings, um, some basic stuff, but less than 2K in cash. So you can say in reality, factual, that the house is protected by uh, this asset protection rule. But if all the money has to be drained out, How does the person that survives or is healthy, how do they afford staying in the house? So there's this dynamic problem of how do you protect the spouse that's healthy? And and then how do you pay for the spouse that goes into the nursing home? So there's been a lot of um, strategies over the years where lawyers and financial advisors and accountants would tell people, well, we're going to move your assets to your children. Mm -hmm. I think it was uh, 1996, there was a law that came out. It was called the kennedy Castlebaum Law, named after the two congressmen that did it. And it made it a felony to move assets within a five-year period of time. And I think that that's gone, I have to double check, but I think it's gone from like 60 months to maybe 66 months. Mm -hmm. So to move assets within that period of time to other people. And... And people would say, well, what if I move it to a company or an LLC? Same thing. There's, It's considered a felony. Actually, if you're an advisor and you advise somebody to do it, it's a felony for the advisor too. Really? Not just the per- – yeah, it's it's some serious stuff that you – if you're an advisor listening to this, you got to be really careful what you tell people. So, yeah, that that's what the issue is. And so you can't just move money because what they do is they – they'll put an exclusion period in. So if you fraudulently fill out the Medicaid application and you move money and they audit you, yeah, that can be a felony. But if you move money, they exclude that period of time. So here's the example. Let's say for your grandmother, let's say that the average cost, last time I looked was about 80 grand a year for a nursing home. Mm -hmm. That's about average. Hers is more, but. (laughs) Yeah, it's more, okay. Well, I guess it's, you know, Pennsylvania is definitely going to be more than like, Tennessee or something. Yeah. But okay. How much, well, interesting enough, how much was it? Uh, I, For, for her level of care right now, I think it's north of 15,000 per month. Uh, per month. So $180,000 a year. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot. Okay. So that's probably housing, food, medical yeah, care. Everything, everything. Everything. Right. Okay. So what they do is, and that may not be a, um, a medicaid facility meaning it may not qualify for medicaid to pay it or there might be a difference and there's so many different combinations i can't state this is the way it is because i've seen so many different states operate so many different ways there's not one uniform way that says this is how much you can do within a medicaid facility you have to look into where the state is but i can tell you this if she said i'm going to go apply for medicaid and and she has assets to pay that then they're going to exclude her until she runs out of assets. So see, the government doesn't come in and take the money. They just exclude her from coverage until she runs out of money. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I mean, she still ends up with zero, but it's not like, you know, Russia, they come in and just grab the assets. Right. It's not how it works. So you're excluded from that period. And again, because people used to just move money to other people, If you move money to other people within either that three-year or five-year period, depending upon if it's an individual or a trust, they exclude that amount that you moved. So they'll use that. So let's say that, just as an example, let's say that Medicaid paid 50 grand a year in the state and place that you're looking at, and you moved $150,000 to a child. They're going to say, we're not covering anything for three years. Right. Now, here's what the real issue is, and I've seen this. Parents think they can trust their kids and then they say here's the 150 grand just give me the money if i need it back then they go to medicaid medicaid says we're not going to pay anything because you moved the money for three years and the kids say i'm not giving it back to you
1: Then what do you (laughs) do yeah
0: you're stuck you're absolutely stuck right or you move the money to the kids and they get divorced that becomes a part of the divorce assets or you move the money to the kids they get sued or irs takes it so I don't ever suggest that's a good idea, moving money to kids or relatives or trust or anything else. Um, so the way it works is they move that, you you pay down the, med, the Medicaid expenses or you pay for the nursing home. When you run out of money, then Medicaid picks it up. Now, what I've also seen is depending upon the facility, there might be a cost difference. And it may not be that Medicaid pays enough to stay in the same facility. So now you got to find a new facility that meets that. Right. And traditionally, Medicaid doesn't pay a lot. So you might be going from like a A plus hotel to like a Roach <laughs> Motel. Depending so yeah. where you're at. So the the answer your question, how to answer your family's question, how does that work? She's got to spend all her assets down. If she spends all of her assets down when she runs out of money then Medicaid picks it up. But you got to look at the difference between where she's at now and what Medicaid would allow. Sometimes they will; the facility will guarantee that if they run out of assets, they will accept only what Medicaid pays. Got it. Some don't. Okay? I can't claim I know those laws in every single state. You just got to check that. Okay? Yeah. Now, I have a question uh, for you, though. Yeah.
1: Now, say when she was 60, when she was totally no help anywhere, no facility anywhere. She was living on her own, able to care for herself. And she had a trust. Would that, would those assets then be protected at that point? And then she could have essentially applied for Medicare or Medicaid, sorry,
0: immediately. Like, how does that work with a trust? So that's a good question. There's two kinds of trusts. If we're talking about a revocable family trust, you have to remember anything that she can get to without any hurdles got it anybody else can get to without any hurdles now because of this issue back in the 90s um and again i i don't remember when the miller trust came out but there's a special kind of trust it's called a miller trust and you can contribute to that miller trust the miller trust you have to appoint an adverse trustee adverse trustee simply means it can't be the same person that owns the trust like when you have a family trust you can have a Zach family trust and Zach's the grantor, meaning you're the one putting the money in. And Zach is also the one that's the trustee. Right. You control everything in or out. When you have an adverse trustee, it'd be like you have a Zach trust, but Ken is the trustee. And you say, Ken, can I buy a new Xbox? I say no. <laughs> then You I can't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. You can't do anything about it, right? That's the way it is. And so the adverse trustee has to follow the rules of the trust. So the way it works is if she was in her 60s, had she set up a revocable family trust, it would have made any difference. Had she set up a Miller trust, now you get into that, again, I think it's 60 or maybe it's been expanded to to 66 months. She makes a contribution to the Miller trust. As long as she passes by that period of time, that Miller trust can be exempted from the Medicaid qualifications of assets. However, what the trustee can do is say, I'm gonna give you a thousand dollars to go to Disneyland. And that will not adversely affect the assets that qualify for Medicaid. Got it. So it can be used for other things that can be exempted. Problem is, um, honestly, I've never done one because every time I explain it that, you got to dump this money in. You have no access to it. Somebody people else. People don't will want tell to you. hear that. People no, don't, don't that. want to hear that. They don't <laughs> want to do it, and they won't do it. So I've proposed it probably a hundred times in thirty some years, and not a single person has said that's what I'll do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the alternative, and it's not a great alternative, is you know you buy long-term care insurance, but it's ungodly expensive because so many people are going to nursing homes. And then there's another alternative that came out, which is hybrid life insurance. Hybrid life insurance is you get life insurance, you gotta do it while you're healthy and younger so it's affordable. But if you go in a nursing home, you can use the death benefit for the nursing home. Got it. And that's what I did for myself. You know, I was carrying a whole bunch of um, long-term life insurance and some term insurance. And probably a decade ago, I converted that to a hybrid life insurance. And the concept for me is this. First, I don't like insurance companies. I think that they always, I think they always win no matter what. Yeah. They skew the the, the balances, you know, here's a great example. Like uh, we had an air conditioner crushed in the snow. And for those of you that are listening to this, uh, you know, we have a place in Utah and that place got 900 inches of snow in this season. And I got to show you this. Wow. It actually crushed. Right. Cause the snow was so heavy on it. It literally crushed the metal. So wow. great example, right? I call insurance guy done. We won't pay you the full $6,000 that it's going to cost to replace it. We'll give you a lower amount, maybe $4,500, which is maybe two grand. You know, let's, let's, be real about that that that's the 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 problem you're always going to face with insurance so anyway make a long story short yeah what i did was i went back in and uh cashed my life insurance in bought a new one and it's got x number of dollars of death benefit but if i go in a nursing home i can use that death benefit while i'm alive so you know we're all going to die but we're not all going to become disabled so if somebody goes and buys long-term care insurance my theory is you know, you spend five, six, seven thousand, ten thousand dollars a year for long term health care insurance. What if you just die? Insurance company keeps all that money. Right. Yeah. Versus you buy the life insurance. You are going to die. No <laughs> doubt about that. Right. So insurance company has to pay out. But if you go in a nursing home before you die, at least you got that amount of coverage for the long term care.
1: Right. It's, it's so- a gamble,
0: but gambling yourself to die because that's a guarantee. You know it's going to happen. It's a foregone conclusion, right? So, you know, yeah. If your grandma was sixty years old right now, but they, you know, then again, when she was sixty, they didn't have these kind of hybrid policies. If she's ninety-six now, um, but to answer your question, how does this work with your family? Well, she can spend her money down, and then she becomes eligible for Medicaid. You got to make sure the facility that she's in will keep her in there at the Medicaid levels, or you might have mm-hmm. to look for other places um the family can contribute obviously but that puts everybody at a financial strain right right so the other the other way you can do it is if she's got enough in assets she could contribute to a miller trust and just know that that money is set aside there for five and a half years and as long as she has enough to pay for her other 15 grand a month for five and a half years right? right so there's a couple different things you could do but Here's what Are, the problem is.
1: is. Is there a like a law as to what age you can be to create this trust? You know, no, like no at 96. Could she just say I want to do a Miller trust? And then
0: yeah, she's just gotta live the five and a half years. Right.
1: And if she right. doesn't, then
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. Cause because the other option is she gifts it to an individual. So she could gift the money to child or whatever it is. And there's only a three-year wait. But the problem with the, with that is the child doesn't have to give any of the money back if she needs it.
1: Right, right.
0: So that's a big risk. So the you know, we're getting to the point now where, like with your grandma, uh, if let's say somebody has a, a house, uh a healthy spouse in a house, and that's a protected asset. They can't make you use that in the spend down formula, right? Right. But here's the issue: if when the Medicaid person dies, then the legally responsible person either the person that dies or the surviving spouse, when they die, each state is different. Again, I'm not here to tell you every state is like this, but I'm looking at this article here, and it's in the Des Moines Register. Uh, Let's see, reporter is Tony Lays, L-E-Y-S, give him some credit here. Uh, March 8, March 6, 2023, this is a current, says after Medicaid patient dies, states like Iowa aggressively seek repayment from estates. So what they do is let's say you've spent your assets down. And now let's say there's a house sitting in the background which you're not counting as a spend down asset. But now Medicaid starts to pay out, right? And let's say that they pay out a quarter million dollars and then the person dies. They're going to come after that house. And this is the article.
1: And that's why people think they're stealing the money, but they're really not. But you got to protect it
0: somehow. Well, but see, some of this could be pre-planned too. Right. I mean, the house, because it's an excluded asset, that can be gifted to a trust with the kids as the beneficiaries with a, a, a right to live in the house in case that person comes back out of the nursing home. But if it passes periods of time, then it can be excluded from Medicaid coming back. Right. right. So again, every state is different. I'm not here to give legal advice. Um, certainly not telling you what to do within your state. You got to figure that out with whoever's, you know, a qualified uh, asset protection person in your state. But here's the, here's the article it says uh, the beneficiaries got this letter and it said the letter got right to the point. Iowa's Medicaid program has spent $226,611 for. I guess the person's name was Rule, R-U-H-L's healthcare. And the government is entitled to recoup that money from her estate, including nearly any asset she owned or had a share in. So the, the family had 30 days to respond as to how they're going to pay it back. Otherwise, the state's coming after the assets. Now, I, I can tell you I had an absolute experience in this. And this is going back to when I had an office in Sarasota and guy comes in, he hires me for a financial plan and writes a check for the financial plan. We're putting the financial plan together. we get it done. Call the guy up. No answer. No answer. No answer. Write him a letter, certified mail. We were thinking, oh, the guy's on vacation. A couple of months later, son comes in, says dad died shortly after he hired you. And I said, well, my God, let me give you the feedback. I mean, you know the financial plan was done, but we can't deliver it to you. And so he says, "No, no." He says, Abs- "Absolutely not." He says, "I need your help." And I said, "So what's going on?" And actually, this is Pennsylvania. So Dad moved to Florida from Pennsylvania, and when he died, there was about a million dollars in his IRA. Now Dad's a Florida resident. Son is still Pennsylvania resident. Son had been on SSDI for like 20 some years. State of Pennsylvania comes in and grabs the dad's IRA before the son gets it. Now here's the double whammy. It's in an IRA, state of Pennsylvania forces a payout. The son is the beneficiary. So the son gets a tax bill on the IRA from the IRS because the 1099R for the withdrawal went to the son. And he didn't even get any money from it. Didn't get any money. Now, oh. we we argued this with the IRS. IRS settled no amount out, but it didn't mean that they had to. They could have pressed it, right? right. And going after other assets. Um, so there are issues when you have any kind of asset. And actually, this is I'll bring this one up. Uh, this is another Pennsylvania issue. It's called the Phileas Law. And let me just bring this up because the Phileas Law... Um, is where they can hold children responsible for a parent's, nursing home bill. I don't know if you can see that or not. let's see. Pennsylvania yep filious. let me read it. Pennsylvania Philly philio, I pronounced that wrong. filial <laughs> support law. children are can it be held responsible for parents unpaid nursing home bills. And this is about a, and I, I remember reading this. Uh, it's about a woman who had a big nursing home bill. And yeah, it's saying right here, actually funny enough, it says nursing home bills averaging $10,000 per month in Pennsylvania. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, but this person went in a nursing home. Um, she got out and it was like, I, I don't remember the exact amount. Maybe it's in this article. It's like $160,000 or something like that. And um she decided that she was going to try to get out of the bill so she flies back to her, her homeland of Italy says I'm not paying it come after me here well they did but they yeah, of the course sun. they came after the son and they got it from the son because the son was still a Pennsylvania resident so you got to look out for you know how you structure the protection for your grandma but then her kids your aunts and uncles need to be aware Pennsylvania has that filial law. Right, right. So I think, you know, that's a really good example of of seeing somebody in Pennsylvania that really understands that law and can do whatever they can to protect that debt from passing down to them. Right.
1: So, right. And that's, of course, saying she outlives her finances. Now, if she was to die, God forbid, tomorrow, then yeah. you wouldn't have this issue. It would just the money will be dispersed as it is intended to.
0: That's right. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. You got, everybody gets, you know, their share of their inheritance after, you know, if it's a trust or a will. Um, But you're right. She would have to spend that money down, run out of the money and then go into the Medicaid system to help pay for.
1: And essentially go into debt with Medicaid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, well, listen, everybody, if you're listening, you're listening to this, you're watching this right now. This was ad hoc. None of this was planned. I had no <laughs> idea Zach's grandmother was in.
1: He had died. We didn't even talk about it before.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's great because I'm sure that a lot of people are facing this either for their own assets their their parents, their grandmother, grandfather. Um, I think the the, the most important thing is that you start planning things and, you know, it's kind of funny because I always say if I become disabled, if I get hit by a bus, if I die, People are like, God, he's so morbid. No, this is reality. It's life. It's like, what well, it can happen? So let's just think through what the exit strategy is. It's like a fire drill, right? You want to know what your exit strategy of the, is in the building. In case of a fire, same thing in death, disability, dis, whatever it might be. And now the big thing is um, you know, losing your cognitive ability like dementia, Alzheimer's, et cetera. So you got to think through those things and just think, what is the protection plan I have in place? The Titanic did not lose 1,700 lives because it sunk. It lost the lives because they didn't have lifeboats. Because lifeboats, because the engineers and the the company decided that they wanted more room. It was bad planning is what mm-hmm. it comes down to. So we're going to be posting more of these podcast, video casts, and you know when you get this, you watch this, you listen to it. Make sure that you post your comments, your questions. Uh, we'll try to the best we can to answer them. In addition, if you've got stories, uh, write to us and we will talk to you. We may bring you out as a guest because I think people learn from other people's experiences. 100%. So with that in mind, Zach, thanks for joining us. We're signing Thank off. You. Have a good one.